This is Reimagining Higher Education, your go-to podcast with remarkable education leaders, sharing personal stories from their experience in and around the sector, including reflection and hope for progress with your host, Dr. Noreen Golfman, former provost and vice president academic at Memorial University in St. John's, Newfoundland, and inaugural member of Studiosity's Academic Advisory Board in Canada. We collectively recognize that this podcast's hosts and guests have recorded this interview from across Turtle Island on the unceded and traditional territories of many nations in what we now know as Canada. We acknowledge past and current custodians of this land. I'm Noreen Goldman. I like to call myself a recovering provost, uh, senior administrator at Memorial University in St. John's, Newfoundland. And today I'm interviewing Dr. Jeff Keshen, or really not interviewing, having a conversation with. Um, Jeff used to work at Memorial, and he's now in the August chair of the president of the University of Regina. And we could be talking a long, long time. Uh, we'll contain it to some of my scripted questions and see how it goes. So thank you for taking time out, Jeff. I know you've got a busy life. Thanks, Doreen. Sure. And I, I'm going to start with one question that we ask all of our subjects, and I was asked the same thing when I was sitting on the other side of the screen, so to speak. And it's about um, what object do you have in your life? I, I, I can see already from your office, you're surrounded by all kinds of chachkas and stuff. But what object in your life do you kind of regard? I guess it's a kind of senior administrator's fetish object that you yeah. keep around you, you travel from office to office with. Is there something special? Actually, there is. I, I was going to give you a different one, but I, uh, that, than what I was going to say, I was going to connect it to, the, to the, um, uh, the service learning stuff that I got involved in. But at the back of my office, back in the days when I was at Ottawa U, it's classic. So um, uh, we uh, done a, um, a um, painting to represent um, all the different things in history that it, you know, it happens, Canadian story, I was chair of the department. And um, I said, well, we're gonna do something that's gonna represent and is gonna be making the history department proud. So I hired a student to do this, a fine art student. And I have a small reproduction of it at the back of the office there. And, um, and, and, and I said to her, I want you to do this mural for the, for the department. And, and, and then she came to me, uh, three weeks before she'd working on it for the semester we'd had some money for it and so forth and she said do you want me to tell you what I'm doing okay do you want me to tell you what I'm doing do you want to tell me pretty soon I said oh no I don't want to be a censor of what you're what you're, of what you're up to <laughs> and and then and then 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 um two weeks before she brings it out and um so this is called civil liberties throughout the throughout throughout history so I'm looking at this painting and um, first of all, I see a, a big picture of, I'm making no judgment here because, you know, people listen and whatnot. They had Brian Mulrooney there. And then they had Winston Churchill. Former and they, Prime yeah, Minister. Because Mulrooney was involved in the anti-apartheid. That was an interesting choice or whatnot. Uh, and they had uh, FDR. I was saying, well, you know, uh, all I see on this painting is um, like white guys. And so she says to me, She's a new Canadian, and she says to me, 
I don't judge people on the basis of who they are. I said, you might not judge them that way, but trust me, when we unveil this painting, it's going to be, it's going to be a melee. So she carefully then works in, 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 in an emergency, in an emergency way. She works in uh, Rosa Parks and uh, Mandela, and then the, and then the person from Burma, uh, what was her name? You know, the one that won the prize and then she ran into trouble as well. And uh, then we unveiled it and everything like that. And they said, we don't like this painting. We should have got this person and this person and this person. Uh -huh. And then after I, then when I left Ottawa, you, I said, well, guys, you know, you're thinking uh, maybe, um, maybe, you know, you, you said you didn't, you didn't like it. Maybe I'll, I'll take it with me when I go. And I have only small reproduction. Then they said, oh no, we're going to keep it. So I always thought that, that was an interesting sort of like oh. distillation of the academic process about, about uh, different views and whatnot. So yeah, that's that one of the things that I do keep. That says a lot. So you don't have it in front of you there, but I trust it's it's in the back there. It's in the, it's in the back. Fair enough. Um, yeah, that's interesting and a suitable answer uh, from an historian for sure. Um, yeah, some people come up with really silly stuff, but that that has a certain kind of purposefulness. <laughs> it does. It's 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 a uh, is an example of sort of how you have to bring sort of bring uh, an agreement out of. Um, out of out of a out of us, um, I guess an environment where people have very different views, and and of course are often not shy about bringing them forward. So, I mean, do you sometimes wake up and think, "Gosh, when I was an undergraduate, even a grad student, I would never imagined I'd be a president of a university." I mean, and having acquired along the way, maybe it starts to come clear in graduate school how much that kind of opposing or differing viewpoints is something it's part of academic life. It's part of corporate life. It's part of, you know, working with people. But um, when do you think that light kind of went on for you? Was it graduate school? You mean when, uh, about thinking about-, about Like the complexity of getting to consensus or, making change or you know most of the stuff we're involved in as certainly as administrators probably as chair or as dean uh when i got involved in administration it was sort of a maniac on a mission trying to get the service learning program at, at ottawa U started so that was just like a uh uh, a singular thing going between department and department. And that was that was just those who were willing to participate in building the numbers and making that program grow. So that really didn't have to get involved in any collaboration except to try to sell a program. As chair, um, you, you realize that, that there were differences of opinions, that there were different personalities, that people demanded things. I mean, just like you know from your vast experience as well. I mean, people, and you know, most, and as dean as well, but and then, of course, there's some, you know, not saying anything that folks don't know, then um, then there's, you know, folks who are much more vociferous about making those demands and have particular interests, and you have to sort of balance all those. So, yeah, that the complexity of the organization um, progressively became more, became deeper. As chair, uh, you have a certain, you know, certain insights to that, also with what the deans are are trying to do with their budgets and as deans you see it from a different perspective that they're trying to work with their department heads and, and their faculty as well I mean we talk about being on the coal face of it and then trying to also understand that they're of scope employees and that they have sort of a 
we have a broader purpose to the institution and then having sometimes deliver bad news to to your to your to your faculty and then as vp you also deal with the competing interests of all the of all the um you know Grenfell campus because you had facilities and it so understanding that there was that side of the house as well um and so in each layer you go up, it becomes you become more aware of the complexity and trying to bring about right. collaboration and and often among people, quite frankly, sometimes who who are some of them are, I'd say most people are quite reasonable. Most people are that they do want to collaborate. Most people don't want conflict. Um most people unfortunately sometimes will defer to conflict as well because they just want to want things to they're they're quite in the, they're quite happy to uh, to avoid it and and uh, so you have to sort of deal with that as well. But yeah, that's where I would say that it, the light went off is is progressively from chair onwards. And you know, and we both have all types of experiences which speak to people who are asking you to solve to solve a lot of issues that sometimes are beyond your control to even even address in the position you're in, or yeah. to, or to or to back off and leave you alone. So it's right. It's, for sure. I, I want to come back at some point um, to the service learning program and I want you to say more about that. But let me go back to your undergraduate experience and how how do you remember it? Um, positively, negatively, combination? Was it a good experience? Where did you study? I was at York. It was uh, I actually did enjoy the undergraduate. It was about 24,000 at the time. And had places that you knew where you were able to meet meet people. They, they used to have the old style cafeteria at York back in the day. This is before they built on what's uh, colloquially referred to as Yorkdale North, with the shopping centers in Toronto. Stuff just for the people, there. for the yeah. people outside so, Canada. I'm just saying in Toronto. Yeah, this yeah they built that that thing and it's now it's about fifty thousand. I'm sure it's still a great experience, but I, most of my courses at that time were taught by full time profs. Even the even in Canadian history, the the tutorials that they had, they taught it as a team, and then they had full time profs teaching the tutorials. I got to know my professors really well. I could say, you know, in retrospect, should I've got more involved in extracurricular, but that's not who I was. Right. Um, I I uh, focused on studies. Really liked to you know really liked the stuff that I was engaged in. Um, was pathologically focused on trying to get into law school, and then discovered that law wasn't the right thing for me after all um that's you know i guess i tell students today don't be afraid to change your mind along the way because even if it's a little bit of a delay you want to do something that you're passionate about and ultimately even it takes you a little bit longer to get to the finish line you're going to be doing your career for an awful long time so those are things that i remember discovering i was very focused as a student um always wanted to do well so but i i, I like my undergraduate degree i I um, really got involved in the courses, some better than others. Some props more engaging than others, some props more friendly than others. But yeah, it was a good experience at York. Yeah, I think, you know, as I'm listening to you, it, it seems obvious that those of us who had, you know, maybe initially uncertain, but eventually positive undergraduate experiences stayed in the academy, <laughs> went on to graduate school, and many of us on to administration or, you know, served on committees, and because we were committed to the academy that helped shape us and in that undergraduate experience, you know, I'm not sure we were conscious of giving back, but it was a kind of organic process of staying, involved, staying engaged, don't you think? I do. Um, I'm thinking back not only to the days of York, but I was, uh, 
really engaged in my master's degree at uh, Carleton University. I felt the connection to the place. Yeah. I guess it's when you know your when you have the opportunity to know your professors um, and you feel a part of the place. I don't think that necessarily means you have to get involved in things like overseas studies or varsity sports or debating clubs or whatnot. But if you really like your classes and you feel that sense of connectivity to the to the institution, I, I think that's the right. I agree with you completely. It is an organic process where, I don't know, you 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 feel that you believe in the place and you and you want to see it succeed. You're proud of it. You're proud of the education you got. So I imagine when you started to become an educator after graduate school, um, you wanted to pass on that same experience you had. I mean, most of us, you know, we're kind of making it up as we go along because university professors don't go through any kind of orientation for teaching. We learn from the role models and what worked for us and and what didn't, we try to avoid, of course. But uh, as an educator, what did you see as the opportunities for you? And how did you kind of start shaping your own role as an influencer in the classroom and as a researcher? I think that for me, I always was impressed with um, um, to be, especially in the undergraduate level, I taught a lot of courses at the first year level. I was always impressed by the professors who were very well prepared for the class, who were organized, uh, who knew, like myself, that there was a certain level of, of being extemporaneous that I was comfortable with. But um, I was always hyper-organized in the classroom. I thought that the students appreciated that. I'll get to the service learning in a second because I always tried to enrich the classes by having them connected to the community and making the class almost like an event. We, we tend to lose some of that today, I think, a little bit. So I think we're so risk averse. Like I used to bring in, remember we did indigenous, um, the, in, um, the indigenous components of the Canadian history course. We made buffalo meatballs and brought them to class. Now I can just see the risk people going out of their minds thinking, oh my gosh, you're going to, you're going to poison them. And, and um, so, um, but I used to have like, still do, I have a theme question for every lecture. So maybe I'm just a little bit too uptight in that regard. But I always thought that organization was important, especially for students who need to know what's the material you're going to cover. Why are you covering it? What are you hoping to get conveyed in each lecture? And then I always thought about, well, what what is it that beyond? Because I, I think that professors uh, who are who are well prepared for class are, are always going to are always going to succeed. I think that there's a certain degree of of um, of stardom that students will be impressed with short term, but they really just want to know the material. Then I thought to myself, well, how is it that you can make the history come alive for students? And the service learning part came from trying to connect them with realizing that the things that they're studying had um, had real importance to people outside the academy that they had lived experience. And the one that always stuck with me and how I got involved initially with, with community was, because uh, as you know, I, I, I do war in society. So I used to think, okay, these kids are really young and they don't realize that one day they're going to be they're going to be older and their kids are going to ask them about events that that maybe that they would have some connection to. So he's long gone, but we brought in a into a um, introductory Canadian history class, a veteran of Dieppe. It was 1942. So this was wow. in the 90s. And, and I said to them beforehand, uh, you know, you guys are going to realize that when you have your kids or your grandkids, that'll be 100 years ago. And you'll say that 
when they talk about this event, you're going to see that you had and you're studying something which really has uh, lived experience for someone who had been through that. And he gave a really marvelous speech uh, to the students about what it was like being on the on the beaches, but also had the students present a plaque to this individual for the service that he had done. And it was sort of like the idea of, of, the, of the class becoming more than just a classroom, but an event unto itself. And I thought mm -hmm. that that was a real opportunity to show students that that um that what they're that what they're engaged in is uh is real it, it was it's people's lives and 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 then also um trying to get them to understand that as a as a professor especially in the arts because you know you're in the fine arts um but in the arts to show them that we always talk about the skills that they have we say that employers should recognize that they have reading skills and critical writing skill, critical analysis and writing skills and communication skills. So, well, a lot of these folks are not really doing well post-graduation. We have a responsibility as a prof to show that these skills really do um, have beneficial impact to a number of different organizations. So, well, how can you do that? Well, you do it by having them volunteer in organizations to produce projects, which are which are of uh, benefit to the community and showing off the skills that these students had. And I always thought it was particularly important as an educator and as, an, and as a member of the arts to have that responsibility to set them up for success. It's not good enough just to say, well, employers recognize the intrinsic value of the arts. They don't. They don't. Right. Um, right. So that was things that we wanted to do in the classroom all the time is to engage students to help them understand their abilities, to understand their skills, and to make the classroom as best I could come alive. And I knew I had to do other things simply just to stand on the stage and to, and to say to them, you know, um, today's lessons about Louis Riel, follow the bouncing ball as I, as I talk about right. Riel. So did you turn that into a bigger program at Ottawa across yeah. the faculty or? That's why I say a maniac on a mission because um, went from department to department to department. So how we discover, so um, Fellow that both of us know, David Mitchell. He had he had taken uh, the advancement role at, at Ottawa U, and he was just coming to the different uh, departments, faculties, and so forth. And he said, "I'm just open to ideas that you do have." And I thought about, well, why don't we initially create students as volunteering? And then I discovered this was in the '90s. I discovered that they were doing this in the states already. And they called it service learning. We had done it here as well, but we hadn't sort of labeled it. And they had. Um, universities that were well-funded that of course the Americans rank everything so they rank community engagement McConnell so the timing was really good the McConnell Foundation had just found out about this got a large grant we started off with just one student in my office doing it and sure. had some seed money and just built it the old-fashioned way of of getting props involved and and giving some seed money for them to engage in community uh community and uh, community-based projects and after a couple of years it was built up to maybe as much as a thousand students participating every year. Wow. And that's, and, and that got me also out of the history department a little bit and understanding different parts of the university. It was housed in student services. So ah. I got to see that whole side of the, of the university. And that was, that was really um, refreshing because, you know, you as well, graduate studies, uh, provost, it gets you understanding the broader context of the university. And, and besides just being important, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, I, I always think of a line that, you know, the Irvings based in New Brunswick, 
the big um, family dynasty um, merchants uh, in Canada, that family, Casey Irving always used to say that he was interested in, in how the wheels turned. And I, you know, it's just a kind of simple observation, but always stuck with me that that was something that not everybody's had interested in how the wheels turn. But if it's in your DNA to to do that, then you're going to follow that track. You know, I agree. And actually, the the I often tell people that Grenfell was particularly um, educational experience because I had not known about uh, the way in which. IT operates, facilities operates. Um, so as you know, Grenfell is a smaller version effectively of a larger university. And I thought that was an invaluable experience right. to understand that whole side of the operation, which as, as we know, many in the academy really don't get to, to know how essential that is. And, the, and, the, and yes, the, the classroom is fundamental to the student experience, but underpinning this is all other parts of the university, which if you don't have there, it all it kind of goes to pot as well. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. And uh, and that just, you know, the more you know about it, the more complex that environment becomes. The physical plant needs to be maintained. The budget has to be found for it and on and on and on. Yeah. Um, so I think you said, I might have misheard you, that that whole service program, it sounds terrific and way ahead of its time because, you know, we give a lot of lip service to engagement on our campuses with community. Um, do you say that it's not so active anymore or that? No, it is. It is? So, okay, good. So I did that for probably around six, seven years, ultimately, and um, when Alan Rock became president, I had become chair of the department. So transitioned out of that, and, and Alan Rock was really uh, very much engaged in community-based activity for the university. So it became the when Michael Jean became the chancellor of the university, it became the Michael Jean uh, um, Center for Global and Community Outreach. Oh, okay. So Alan had Alan had taken it to it to a, a, a another level, and it became institutionalized. And from then at that point, I've served on an advisory advisory capacity for a year or so. And then uh -huh. went into chair of the department. So it was okay. a good transition overall. Oh, that's awesome. I, I never knew that. I know a lot about you, but I didn't know that. That's inspiring, actually. That's terrific. So let me ask you, uh, what would you change if you could change anything about four students now? Or if you could change something, what would it be if you had a magic wand? So change it. Uh, and sorry, I didn't catch it all. Change for the what university. Would you if you could change something for today's students who do a lot of, I think, you know, largely appropriate complaining about the environment they're in without necessarily understanding the complexity in the university, but, um, you know, those students who are aware are pointing out a lot of deficiencies in post-secondary education. I mean, the subject of this whole podcast is really reimagining higher education, post-secondary education. You know, it's a tough question. I was asked it too, but I wonder just what might come to mind if, if you could change something for students today. What would I guess it be? for me, um, it would be to 
some areas of the university do it very well um, with co-ops and internships and preparing them for um, for their careers post-graduation. I guess I'm confining myself a little bit from my own background, which is in the arts and social sciences. I I would really, and we do have some co-op, but I think we, in the arts and the social sciences in particular, since there's so many students here, and, and also I'd say in sciences as well, I would like to, to have them better prepared um, through connections that would set them up for careers. Uh, and I don't think that necessarily volunteerism does it. I think that that's one way that you can do it, but to have them have much more opportunity on co-op internships and paid because a lot of them are suffering economically. A lot of them are not feeling that their studies um, provide them with the necessary platform on which they're going to obtain jobs. I think more parents today, quite frankly, and we're having these discussions, I think it's important that universities have these discussions and young people, we're seeing some flattening on, on involvement in university. I think they're questioning the, the value of our university education. So I think that that's, that's also something that we, um, that we need to, to understand. I think we need to be a little bit less fearful, perhaps, of thinking that we're becoming job training centers, because um, I don't think that's happening. I think we still teach higher level analysis. And um, so that's one of the things that I, I think that we have, um, I would like to see that we would do, we would do better. I always think that students and parents would be much more willing to pay increased tuition uh, if they see the clear value towards the end product. Proof of that is also, as, as we know, that students or young people pay a lot more for tuition for professional programs because they know that there's going to be a, a, um, a return on investment at the end. I hate to be sort of like really in that sort of language, but I think that we need to really be thinking of that type of student experience. I don't know if I mentioned in my comments, but um, but a lot more students today, what, what I'm seeing is that a lot of them are afraid to graduate. They're actually quite fearful of the economy. They're quite fearful of the future. They're quite fearful of the debt that they're taking out of university. And they're fearful about what type of job they're going to get at the, at the end of this, at the end of this journey. And I think that we feel it most profoundly in the arts and humanities, because um, I don't believe that we are doing enough to show that um, there is, there are skills which are highly marketable. I'd like to see that. Yeah, and of course, the enrollment trends underscore your point, as they're declining in those faculties everywhere. And they are. We're, I heard we're some not shocking doing things. a very good job at um, at validating that path of study. But I think we can if we actually put more effort into connecting those students to um, to actual uh, placements and to and to let them. Um, market or to show their skills we know that for employers the best the best interview is to actually see somebody on the job um, and the concern that i have is they get so many resumes um, and they naturally de default because of that even through these algorithms or whatever they do on keywords to see who has the the qualifications that they've determined in advance is right for the job so a lot of the students given the areas that they graduate in don't even get a look in yeah, interesting. Yeah. And um, 
Yes, I mean it's it's we see this in the in in the arts, not less so in the social sciences, but in the arts and the humanities. That's where it hits the it hits the hardest. We're seeing enrollment declines. We're also seeing, as you know, um, given your own your own background leadership in graduate studies, some graduate programs that were really robust. Uh, I know history better than than than, than any other area. But I understand that in some of the history programs that had quite large PhD programs, never my master, but PhD programs, they're hardly taking anybody into the into these areas, and um, that's that's telltale. Absolutely, at a time when you know increasingly it seems we need you know more awareness of history, more study of history, more analysis than ever. Um, yeah, I mean, not to get too dramatic, but I agree with you completely. Yeah. The lack of the lack of um, of understanding of what's of where things have led in the past, and yeah, not appreciating the the about about where emotion can take you. Uh, what we're seeing right now, yes, we do need more people who are who are aware of citizens and and aware of the um, the dangers to um, yeah. to civil society right now. Um, what advice would you give your younger self? Um, I don't know. I, I thought I thought about um, uh, that area. I'm maybe I I, I say I, I wasn't a student who got involved in a lot of things. At the time I focused on studies and uh, and doing and doing well. Um, Maybe to have enjoyed a little bit more of the events that were happening at the university campus, but I don't want to be untrue to the kind of person I was. I've always been that 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 person who's been maybe just a little bit too too uber focused on things. But um, maybe to have enjoyed the social life at university a little bit more. Maybe to have taken advantage of uh, of an overseas opportunity. But I don't want to sort of import from the from the from from this time. You know the type of person I was then sure. because I think that you, the path would have been much different. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that that might have been that might have been a good opportunity, but um, yeah. So it's it's, it's like um, it's fair. It's, I don't know if I'm if I'm like Biff from from Back to the Future or whatnot. I can't go yeah. back. <laughs> exactly. And um, do people come to you looking for advice, like faculty members or young or mid career, uh, wondering whether they should pursue senior leadership positions? They do. Um, what do you say? I encourage. I encourage them. In, if I see somebody who I do know that's that's got the right in my in my view, the right temperament, uh, patience, and doing it for the right reasons, so that they really do want to give back to the academy. And it's truly. I know that we all have our our slice of ego, but it's really with that. If that's what drives you only, then it's not going to work. Right. Uh, you're not the oracle. Um, uh, I do encourage them and to step forward. If it's a if it's a uh, chair, I would encourage them to go for a, for an associate dean position or a dean position. If it's a dean, then that uh, I would encourage them to go for an associate provost or provost position. In other cases, I would encourage people to get involved more in committees and university governance and understand what what that's about. And um, but yes, I, I would I would encourage them to do so, especially. If they're thinking about why it is that they want, why it is that they want to do it, I mean, 
as you know, if you're if you're there just for personal personal ambition, you will get frustrated because there's a lot of frustrations that happen in any large organization to put things put things forward. If you're there just thinking that you're going to be a person of action, that's not going to happen. You're 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 going to run into you're going to run into 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 brick walls along the way. But if they're doing it for the true reasons and having the integrity to wanting to do it for reasons of trying to help colleagues to make a better institution and to sort of and to, and to sort of encapsulate that in their in their motivation, then then yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's a great joy to be able to do that. To right. see something happen because you know at the at the end of the day as you know um after i'm done and after we're all done five minutes after we're done <laughs> it's on to the next person yeah it's really not all about you know us I want to be no, about you. no that's for sure but you know while you're in the job you've got a lot of room to at least imagine change and and nudge change yeah, and and I think that I I I listened to the quotes that some people put forward, and one that that I think to me was 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 really instructive from Saskatchewan, and fellow's um, name is Mo Bundan, and uh, Mo had given to the university. He's and he said, uh, you know, you're a custodian of the place. Absolutely, you're a custodian of the institution. The institution will be here longer than 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 any one of us. He said, try to leave the place better than when you came. I think that's actually a very good. Uh, a very good uh, motivator and very good model to go by and to try to value the people that bring very different perspectives. But you know that even though sometimes they'll express it different ways, you have to try to motivate yourself and to understand that they're coming from a place in their perspective, that they're trying to improve the institution or their area or, or so forth. Um, so you have to have to try to harness that, that, positive that positive energy absolutely so, so are you having a good time i do um i do i mean i i think that that there's there's well you've done it as well when you think that you've you've contributed something to the institution when you feel that you've advanced somebody's career when you see someone happy i know that it sounds cliched but when you really buy into that yeah it's it 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 has a great intrinsic value to it when you're at convocation and you see how much it means to the students and how much it means to the parents. Okay, I don't want to be corny about it, but it really does matter. We you know none of us are going to be for what we're doing famous, but boy, we get. I I love teacher movies. I love teacher movies um, because it speaks to the ability to do something which really does matter in people's lives. You've seen it. Uh, and I think that that's something special that we get to do. And I think that we have the opportunity to remind ourselves of that. Um, and that that's the that's the motivator. So there's a lot of really good days. There's frustrating days. I mean, that's, that's the obvious as well, but there's there's um, there's more opportunity here to do to do good and good for people who really respond positively to that. Yeah. I, I think convocation is just a glorious event, especially I when you totally agree. The parents, the parents that are there, the grandparents. I go around before the convocation for the early birds are there and do my little shtick. And I say, who's here from out of town? Who's here has traveled for a grandchild? Who is, and you know, as well as I, I mean, these are people brought up these, these young people. They've seen them 
they've seen them trials and tribulations and shyness and hesitation and lack of self and they've reached something glorious and and you want to make that day so special because that's where we really have made someone feel great about what they've accomplished yeah well said you know that i do and in fact as a retired uh, academic that's that's one piece i really miss um those were glorious days each and every one of them and uh and we're privileged to be able to to host those events for sure and to see all that you know we so are critical I mass agree. of of gratification it's a real privilege for sure yeah i'm having trouble putting into words but when they walk across the stage and you know that many of them are also um so we, we do it as i'm sure that i i can't remember how we did it in saint john's um but we shake the hand of every person that comes across and some of them are nervous as they're walking across the stage being on display. And then you just see them beaming when they get across the stage and just to say congratulations to them. And the smile is just, is just huge. And then sometimes um, I couldn't do it myself because I'm just too, just too reserved, but you know, some of the parents screaming out in joy. Um, and, um, and then I say, you know, and then some of them, if they're quiet, they're still, they're still uh, overwhelmed with happiness. Yeah, they're taking it in. Yeah. yeah. So I think you're right. We are privileged in that. Oh, in that absolutely. Regard. Well, that's a very happy note to end this conversation. I know you're busy and you've got to go oversee something else that's very positive and, and good at your institution. So I want to thank you for taking the time. Thanks, Maureen. I'm sure we could be talking a lot more, but um, thanks, Jeff, for showing up, as they say in show business. That's what they say. That's what they say. That's 90% of it, just showing up, right? That's 90% is showing up. So you better show up for your next event. And uh, good luck with everything. And I'm sure we'll be talking. Visit studiosity.com forward slash students first for information on the next Students First Symposium, an open forum for faculty, staff, and academics to candidly discuss and progress the issues that matter most in higher education.